Today is February 24th. This is Verses and Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful that you're here. And today, I just want to share a quick personal story. I told you guys that my twins, Jackson and Jace, listened to the podcast. Well, the other day, they heard my explanation of Lent and Ash Wednesday and asked if they could participate. I didn't have any ashes on hand, but one thing I'm going to have in my kitchen is some olive oil. So I said to them, of course you can. I'm going to draw a cross on your heads, and then you guys draw one on mine. And today, this will be an outward sign of our repentance and us turning our hearts toward God. And y'all, the eagerness on their faces, their curiosity, the way their eyes lit up when they asked if they could tell their class and I said yes, their pride in choosing to sacrifice candy and pizza for the next 40 days, it was such a blessing to witness their little spirits bubbling over. And I was like, whose kids are y'all? Jesus, they definitely belong to you because when I was 10, I wasn't thinking about no repentance nor sharing my faith with my class. But anyhow, there was something about the oil. It was something about us pouring it out, then dipping our fingers in it, and the tactile feeling of this viscous liquid on our fingertips as we lightly pressed it onto one another's foreheads to give and receive this ancient symbol and grace of the cross. I I don't know. It felt poignant and special and like we could feel our faith, like our faith was tangible, something we could touch. It was all of two minutes, maybe, but it was a full, blessed, and beautiful two minutes. And I wanted to share that with you about my kids and me because Whether you're observing Lent or not, I want to encourage you to be intentional about connecting with God and sharing Jesus with those in your circle or family, especially if you have kids. You just don't know the extent of the impression and impact that it can have and how far that impact will spread. One of the twins' classmates actually started listening to the podcast after the boys told him about it, and he has commented, which I think is just so cute. And one other thing, and then we're going to flow. I know that Leviticus can be a difficult book to get through, particularly now that we're in the section that deals with all the ways a person can be clean and unclean, the bodily fluids and discharges, mold, mildew, skin diseases. This is definitely not the most engaging content to read or listen to. And real talk, every year that I have tried to go through the Bible in a year, Leviticus is always the toughest book to get through. And many years, this is where I fall off. And then I have to pick back up later. But I'm encouraging you not to be like me in that way. Keep reading, keep listening, and don't forget the macro context of what this book is ultimately saying to us about sanctification and holiness and being set apart. And just on a practical side, these rules were very necessary back then because if contamination of any sort broke out in the camp, 
Well, you could have a deadly problem on your hands. Remember, there's no antibiotics, there's no vaccines, there's no kind of healthcare system available to them. So these rules were very important for them to know. And it's still relevant for us today, not these particular rules, but we also have rules in place regarding safety and health, not smoking in public places, the mask mandates that we still have in certain institutions like hospitals to make sure we're not spreading germs. And that's with the privilege of modern medicine. So you can imagine what it was like 3,000 years ago. Okay, this really is the last thing. And then we are going to flow. In these arcane rules, we see that God draws a distinct contrast between a problem that lies only on the surface and one that penetrates beyond the surface. When it shows up as more than superficial, whether on the skin, fabric, or walls, God says quarantine and then re-examine, reassess, or cut it out and burn it outside the camp. This concept can be related to our own sinful actions, which are never simply surface level or skin deep. Unchecked, sin will spread and cause destruction to anything it touches, including our souls, like a wildfire out of control. So it is not to be played with, it is to be dealt with. Cut it out, throw the whole thing away. All right, y'all. Let's flow into this word and let this word flow into us. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 1 through chapter 16, verse 28. New Living Translation Bodily Discharges The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Any man who has a bodily discharge is ceremonially unclean. This defilement is caused by his discharge, whether the discharge continues or stops. In either case, the man is unclean. Any bed on which the man with the discharge lies and anything on which he sits will be ceremonially unclean. So if you touch the man's bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If you sit where the man with the discharge has sat, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch the man with the discharge, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man spits on you, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. Any saddle blanket on which the man rides will be ceremonially unclean. If you touch anything that was under the man, you will be unclean until evening. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man touches you without first rinsing his hands, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. Any clay pot the man touches must be broken, and any wooden utensil he touches must be rinsed with water. When the man with the discharge is healed, he must count off seven days for the period of purification. 
Then he must wash his clothes and bathe himself in fresh water, and he will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, he must get two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle and give his offerings to the priest. The priest will offer one bird for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify the man before the Lord for his discharge. Whenever a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his entire body in water and he will remain ceremonially unclean until the next evening. Any clothing or leather with semen on it must be washed in water and it will remain unclean until evening. After a man and a woman have sexual intercourse, they must each bathe in water and they will remain unclean until the next evening. Whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which the woman lies or sits during the time of her period will be unclean. If any of you touch her bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch any object she has sat on, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. This includes her bed or any other object she has sat on. You will be unclean until evening if you touch it. If a man has sexual intercourse with her and her blood touches him, her menstrual impurity will be transmitted to him. He will remain unclean for seven days, and any bed on which he lies will be unclean. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days. Then she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. This is how you will guard the people of Israel from ceremonial uncleanness. Otherwise, they would die, for their impurity would defile my tabernacle that stands among them. These are the instructions for dealing with anyone who has a bodily discharge, a man who is unclean because of an emission of semen or a woman during her menstrual period. It applies to any man or woman who has a bodily discharge 
and to a man who has sexual intercourse with a woman who is ceremonially unclean. The Day of Atonement The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and will carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. There in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the ark of the covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. 
No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat and putting it on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. When Aaron had finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specifically chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered the most holy place, and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. He must then burn all of the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. The bull and the goat presented as sin offerings, whose blood Aaron takes into the most holy place for the purification ceremony, will be carried outside the camp. The animal's hides, internal organs, and dung are all to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water before returning to the camp. Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 23. Jesus teaches about inner purity. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Psalm 40, verses 11 through 17. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, aha, we got them now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. Wise people treasure knowledge, but the babbling of a fool invites disaster. 
Okay, so I told you in the beginning that I wanted to share more about the significance of oil. And some of this might surprise you, and even if it doesn't, after this explanation, you're going to have a whole different appreciation for what David says in the 23rd Psalm. You anoint my head with oil. In the Bible, hosts of dinner parties would anoint the heads of their guests with fragrant oil as a way to show honor, hospitality, and refreshment. For priests, past and present, the anointing oil symbolizes them being set apart for their work, and they also anoint others under their care who are in need of prayer, spiritual direction, healing, or comfort. For kings, it denotes coronation, the moment when they are officially given the right and responsibility to govern as representatives of their people. And of course, every believer is anointed with the Holy Spirit at his or her conversion, and that anointing guarantees their access to the comfort, conviction, and teaching of the Holy Spirit. But the most tender, precious application of anointing oil from the Lord as our shepherd, caring for us, can be best understood in the context of actual shepherds caring for their flock. Sheep are vulnerable to several harmful influences. For one, flies. Flies are a major nuisance for everybody, but especially for sheep, as they can't simply use their hooves to knock them off or use their tails to swat them away like other animals can. The flies fly up the noses of the sheep and lay eggs. I know this is gross, but we're dealing with all kind of uncleanliness in Leviticus, so we can just deal with this for a few more minutes. Bear with me. And after those eggs hatch, the larvae drive the sheep mad. They become so distressed that they'll even bang their heads against hard surfaces to rid themselves of the pests, which can injure or even kill them. Two, clashes with other sheep. Sheep have a tendency to butt heads with one another, especially rams, the male sheep, as they attempt to dominate or assert their authority over other sheep. Three, their environment, which includes fences, rocks, thorns, and predators. Sheep are often in danger of injuries and infections caused by lacerations, scrapes, and cuts from their natural habitat. But these problems can be prevented, mitigated, or alleviated altogether when sheep have a good shepherd. In the case of the flies, the shepherds combine oil with sulfur to make an insect repellent, they rub it over the head of the sheep as this deters pesky insects and keeps the flies from laying their eggs. It also causes any flies that try to get up there to slide back out. In the case of skirmishes with other sheep, the shepherds apply oil to their heads so that when they butt heads with each other, they're able to walk away without harm because of the smooth character of the substance. In the case of the wounds, they suffer as a result of being in their natural habitat. The oil serves as a healing agent. The shepherd applies the oil to help keep the wounds clean and free from infection, which could also lead to sickness and death. The shepherd also protects the sheep from other animals that could harm them and keeps watch over the flock to remind them to avoid the trails of predators. 
All right, so let's bring this metaphor on home with respect to how Jesus, as our good shepherd, will lead us through the situations that make us vulnerable. Similar to the way flies buzzing in a sheep's brain can drive it crazy, little things in life can aggravate us and drive us mad. But we have a good shepherd who can lead us back to sanity and keep us in perfect peace. And just like these sheep bump heads over who's in charge of the flock, so too can we argue over who's in charge and have power struggles with each other, with our kids, with our parents, with our spouses, and with our colleagues. But Jesus is such a good shepherd that even when we have conflict in our relationships, he can prevent us from getting hurt by leading us through it or providing us with the protection of his wisdom so that we know what to say or what not to say to restore harmony in our hearts, in our homes, or whatever habitats we are in. It's his smooth character that allows that stuff to just slide right on off of us. Finally, just as sheep are prone to suffer wounds and infections in their environment, or how they meander naively into unsafe spaces, we too can suffer wounds in this world, some of them from the places where we spend the most time. Like sheep, we too are likely to stray from the right path and right into enemy territory where we can and do get hurt. But here's why we can take comfort like David did in that 23rd Psalm when he anoints our head with oil. Because in all of these cases, we have a shepherd who is always watching out for us. He knows we need protection and he will provide it. He knows when we are meandering off the path and he will guide us back to safety. Now, that doesn't mean we'll walk away completely unscathed in every situation. That's just life, pain, suffering, injury, wounds, conflict. It's all a part of life. Sometimes we're wounded in our relationships and residences, despite our best efforts to the contrary, and they leave us with scars. But as I read in an article written by Pastor Dennis Lee, the choice is ours as to how we're going to view these scars. We can either look at them and remember the hurt or look at them and remember our healer. We can either look at the scar, remembering those who hurt us, or look at the scar, remembering God's grace. I don't know about you, but I choose the healer and his grace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being a healer. We thank you for being Jehovah Rapha. Thank you for being a God who knows how to take our wounds and our scars and turn them into beautiful reminders of the love that you've shown us. Thank you for showing us that even though we may be wounded at times by others, we can still choose how we look at those scars. We can look at them with joy because of what they tell us about your grace and your mercy. Thank you for reminding us that scars can be reminders of the journey we've been on and how far we have come since we started. Help us to remember, Lord, that no matter what happens in this world, there is always hope in your Son, Jesus Christ, who has overcome death and sin once and for all, so that we who believe in him might also experience victory 
over our own suffering. Lord, we thank you for giving us the power of choice. Thank you for giving us the ability to choose how we view our scars and how we react in response to them. Please, Lord, give us the strength to forgive those who have wronged us and help us to seek reconciliation with others when it is your will and when it is possible. Lord, we thank you for being our good shepherd and We ask for your blessing as we navigate our relationships and the places we inhabit, that your hand of safety and direction may be upon us and that you would go before us. Lord, we thank you for your oil, which heals our wounds and restores our relationships and our bodies and protects our peace. Lord, help us to use our wounds to tell the stories of your goodness and mercy that now follow us, our healed wounds, Lord, and the strength that we've earned because of what we went through. Help us to remember that those who inflict harm upon us may have been harmed themselves and that they need healing and compassion as much as we do, as much as we have. Even if they don't recognize it, Lord, I ask that you would bring comfort and a sense of meaning and understanding to anyone suffering right now, confused about their physical or emotional pain for their loved ones who want to help but don't know how, and for those who are in situations where things are so dark that they cannot see the light. At the end of the tunnel, Lord, as the psalmist said today, you are their helper and their savior. Please rescue them without delay, if it be your holy will. Thank you for bringing us through all that we've been through. We will be so careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And our affirmation for today, I belong in this world. There are people that care about me and my worth. I belong in this world. There are people that care about me and my worth. And our aphorism, healing is a journey, wholeness its prize, and none should expect to reach the latter without first seeking the former. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being here on this adventure with me. You belong here, and we belong together on this journey. I love you, and I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.